Hi, and welcome to the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. We've provided a collection of sermons, our midweek lessons, music, and many more tools to help you grow in your walk with God. We are living in an unprecedented and challenging time, but we invite you to listen in and be encouraged as we fight through this together. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for listening. All right, all right. Good morning again. Excited to be here. You guys excited to be here this morning? All right, we'll try that again. You guys excited to be here this morning? All right. You know, I need a little feedback when I preach. It makes me feel like you guys are with me. Um, What's love got to do with it? All right. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to do it. I thought about it for a second, and then I was like, I don't want to discourage everybody in here. So I'll spare you guys. But what's love got to do with it uh, is the title of the sermon today. The short answer is everything, but we're about to get into the longer answer here. I have a few uh, Mother's Day jokes for us. Uh, I don't, you know, um, I, I shared them with Lamisha, so if they're off color, it's on her. Uh, <laughs> I bought my mom a mug which says, Happy Mother's Day from the world's worst son. I forgot to mail it, but I think she knows. There you go. We need that drum set here. All right. Here we go. Uh, Cleaning with the kids in the house is like brushing your teeth with Oreos. Just doesn't make sense. It's like, why try sometimes, you know? All right. Next one. I don't want to sleep like a baby. I want to sleep like my husband. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. So I just keep making fun of the, the dads and then we'll be all right. Okay, okay. I see where that is. All right. Does this one be a little bit more encouraging, I think? Nothing is really lost until mom can't find it. I mean, the gift of being able to find things. I, <laughs> my, I'll yell in my house sometimes if, if, if I'm looking for something. Like, Mish, Mish, have you seen it, Mish? And then all of a sudden, my son Jacob will say, Mish, Mish. And I'm like, oh, this is like a bad example. I don't know. I don't know. So even for me, like Mish has the ability to just know where things are, how to find them. It's incredible. It's a gift. All right. So <laughs> God's still with me. I didn't lose you on those, right? All right. So what's the one thing when you think of uh, a mother or a spiritual mother or a mother-type mentor in your life uh, that you feel like, they're known for, you know, what comes to mind? You can just shout it out if you want. Giving, love, sacrifice, patience, love, gentleness. Yes. Yeah, I heard a lot of love. I think, I think a lot of us could say love would be up on that list. You know, with my mom, uh, I, I've, I have an awesome mom. She's an amazing mom. Uh, no matter how bad I was, and no matter how much I hurt her feelings, drove her crazy, made her life difficult, I knew that she would always love me. Like, I just knew that. And that's a heavy burden for her, honestly. <laughs> because I actually knew that. You know what I mean? So she's probably, whoa. You know, I mean, but she, because I know she couldn't even help it. Right? So, yeah, you can take advantage of that as a teenager. right? You, a lot of parents are like, I wish the teens were here. Don't worry. They got a good lesson going on, too. But, you know, it can, be, it can be easy to take advantage sometimes of your mom's love. Uh, you know, all the, like, I'm sure you have felt taken advantage of uh, if you're a mom. Because, and I was sharing backstage, I feel like with Mother's Day, it's so hard to really communicate or convey gratitude. 
Like, it's almost impossible because no words or no gift is really going to be able to thank moms for everything they do. And so just seeing Mish and how she's done such an amazing job with our three-year-old, I can say I definitely did not get it until we had a kid, you know, just how much sacrifice uh, goes into it. So thank you to all the moms out there. You know, love has a cost to it, right? Some moms, you know, they give up their careers to stay home with their kids. Some moms work so hard so their kids can be put in a position to succeed. All moms suffer deeply with their kids when their kids are in pain. And many moms also deal with a ton of guilt. Love in general can feel a bit dangerous, right? When you allow yourself to love someone, you kind of put yourself in a little bit of a vulnerable place. And this is kind of, we can put up walls when that happens. It's also why it is hard to even sometimes let people love us. Because we don't want to eventually let them down. We don't necessarily want to agree to that love situation. Because we don't want to let you down, right? And love is complicated. Indeed, even love from our mothers can be a complicated topic. Not everyone would say love is what defines their relationship with their mom. And I just want you to know that if that's the case for you, you're not alone in that. And, I, feel, and, and I, I pray and I hope that you guys can feel the love of God today, that we all today, men, women, moms, non-moms, that we all today can feel the love of God in this room. There's a great quote, motherhood is the exquisite inconvenience of being another person's everything. I thought that was an interesting quote because it's, it's exquisite yet inconvenient. And you're somebody's everything. You know, that's such a burden to carry. Does it sound like Anybody we know, sound a little bit like Jesus perhaps, had to carry this, this burden uh, for all of us. And moms can relate so well to the sacrifice that Jesus had to make. And I think for all of us, we can really see so many parallels, right, between being a mom and, the, and what Jesus did. And when it comes to, uh, and what we're going to read today, because one of the best authors in the Bible, one of the best writers in the Bible when it came to the topic of love, Obviously, the author of love is Jesus and God. But one of the best writers in the Bible that would, would speak to God's love was John, was the Apostle John. He did such an incredible job speaking to the love of God. So if ever, if ever you want to connect with the love of God, read John, the Gospel of John or 1 John. Those are great options. He wrote Revelation, so if you can do a deep dive there, you'll still see the love of God in the book of Revelation, believe it or not. Um, and we're going to look in 1 John today. But I want to set this up a little bit for why this might be relevant to us today. Oh, I can't, I can't give it away yet. All right, so uh, why was 1 John written? So the Apostle John, he sees his spiritual children under attack. If you're a mom and, and you're, you're, your child has ever been under any kind of uh, attack or bullying, let's say, you know, it brings some stuff out of you, moms and dads, right? So the Apostle John... He sees his spiritual children under attack. And the attack was uh, Gnostic false teachers. They were influencing the church that he oversaw. And um, it's, you see in this book how much John loves this fellowship, this church. Because nine times in this short book he says, dear children. You know, he considers them children. And so what he was kind of, he was, he was trying to do two things in 1 John. He was trying to combat this false teaching, while at the same time comforting those who were kind of fearful or, um, yeah, just, just very questioning a lot about their faith. And so you see, here are some of the key features of Gnosticism. So 
uh, the Gnostics, they claim to know Jesus in some deeper sense. They also claim to be sinless. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Uh, instead of loving fellow believers, they actually hated them and would, you know, um, you know, have beefs and separate. They denied Jesus was the son of God. It's a big deal. <laughs> they denied his true incarnation as well. They had this, they thought the physical or the material world was um, inherently evil. So the idea that Jesus could be a, a man, a physical being, it was like, wait, it, you know, if things are evil, then he couldn't have been an actual person. And so this was some of the stuff that they were beginning to, to, to teach the churches that John oversaw. What Gnosticism means, and this will, this will make sense why this is relevant in a second. I don't know if this connection is bad on this thing. Here we go. It means knowledge. All right. So they believe that you were saved not by faith in Jesus Christ, but saved by some special knowledge available to special insiders. They felt like the material world was evil, as I mentioned, which led them to believe some weird things. Like, no matter what they do physically, it wouldn't necessarily contaminate their soul. You could justify a lot if that's your kind of theology, right? Like, anything I do, it doesn't, it's not going to mess my soul up. And that was what they thought. And so why do I think that this is such a relevant uh, time to preach on this message? So we've had more access to knowledge and information over the past two years than some of us even wanted to have. Right, It has been in our face and we have been at home and we have been scrolling and we have seen and have access to so many different things. I think a lot of us have learned a lot of head knowledge in the past two years because we have a lot of time. We had a lot of time over the past two years, right? And um, as we've thought more, as we've learned more, I wonder if it has made us more loving or less loving. Has it made us more fearful or less fearful? Because what happens when you're scared? You're either going to fight or flee. I mean, that's kind of the options when you're fearful, right? You're going to attack or you're going to run away. And so all of this information that seemed like it was probably good for us to know at the time over the last two years, did it, did it help you to be more loving ultimately? Right? Because, that, because love has everything to do with our Christianity. I believe that we have been led to be prideful. Uh, to be angry, to be fearful uh, because of some sort of special knowledge, whatever it is that you think it was for you. You know, we all had our little fountains and, and things we were drinking from for our, for our information. And I wonder that, uh, it, did it produce in you the fruit of love, right? Because I think that is the ultimate measure. That is the ultimate measure of what you're consuming, right? Is if it produces love in you or not. And we're going to get to that in a second. And, and this is... This is interesting because I'm somebody who does love learning. Uh, I love learning new things. This isn't actually going, Coke. Sorry, guys. So I'll just share this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. It says, now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. And here's what it says. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. While love builds up. And I think knowledge puffs up. I thought about it. I was wondering, does it just make you prideful or arrogant? I think that's possible. But I also, I also think when you know more, you're, you fear more. And if you remember like the, the puffer fishes, what do they do when they're scared? They puff up, literally. Right? And, they, and then they, you know, they stab things around them because <laughs> they're scared. They don't know what's going to happen. So they puff up. They get big. Right? And, and whenever you've ever seen a fight or a fight about to happen... 
typically people get bigger. They try to make themselves bigger. They start, you know, there's a lot of that because it's a natural response to feeling fearful. All right. And um, Solomon, the wisest man on the planet, he knew this too. He said in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18, if you go to the next slide, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. You guys felt a little bit of that over the past couple years? I just, have you ever had that moment where you're on, online or reading something you're just like, I think I need to step away for a second. Have any of you ever just like got off social media altogether, at least for a period of time? Yeah, it was, it, it, it's been tough. It's been challenging. You know, there's this weird paradox that the more that I know, the harder it is to love and the easier it is to be fearful. When we're in church, are we sharing our fears or are we sharing our faith? Right, because we're called to share our faith, both inside the church and outside of the church. And guess what? They both spread. Fear and faith both spread. Which one do you share most with the people around you? Do you share faith or do you share fear? There's a good thing to think about. Are we sharing special knowledge or knowledge of the cross? Right, Because it is the knowledge of the cross that matters. What Jesus did for us, how he died for us, even though when we were at our worst, when we were at our most sinful, when you were at the worst on your entire life's timeline, that is the moment when Jesus died for you. There's nothing worse you can do to make Jesus not love you. There's not something worse you can do. That should eliminate fear from your heart, right? And that's the message we have to keep reminding each other of. Like we have to, we have to really see to it that we don't miss the grace of God in, in our church. Has your relationship with God over the past two years been fear-based or faith-based? I know I've had, I've had my fair share of fears. There's a lot of reasons to be fearful. I mean, there's a ton of reasons. I want to totally validate that. Like, I'm with you. I'm fighting fear. Like, every, I felt like every day. You know, and I, I have to be honest with you guys if I can share a little bit vulnerably here. Uh, I don't know. I, I have to really think about it. But I don't know that I have felt angrier ever than in the last two years, in the last two to three years. I don't know that I've felt more lonely in my life than in the last two years. I don't know that I've felt more abandoned in my life than in the last two years. I don't know that I've felt more hurt ever than in the last two years. Um, I don't know that I've ever had as hard of a time loving in the past two years. I can't tell you how many times I've had to apologize in the past two years. I, I still fight every day. I believe with God's strength, he's given me a lot of great victories in it. But it's still, it's still a battle. It's still a battle to keep loving every day, to choose to love, to choose to forgive, to choose to still give everybody the benefit of the doubt that's in my life, to fight to have the conversation rather than make the assumption, right? These are all the things that's just hard to keep pushing to love, right? And I know there's so many moms in here that can feel that, like, ah, I just got to push another day. Or any, if you lo- whoever you love in your life, it's like that love obligates you in a certain sense. I got to push again today. I can't just throw in the towel today. I have to keep loving. I have to keep having conversations. I have to keep moving forward. Because if I stop, it doesn't just get better automatically, right? Can you relate to some of those feelings or is that, is that just me? <laughs> That's all right. We're, we're in this thing together. You felt some of that. 
what we just went through in the past couple years, it's like three lifetimes, I feel like, in two years. It was packed into two years, two and a half years. It was like three lifetimes. More stuff than I even wanted to know. I mean, one week, you know, in church, even in the fellowship, we're celebrating birthdays. We're doing drive-bys. And I was, I, all of you guys came and drove by my house, said happy birthday. I know many of you guys experienced that as well. And it's just such a celebration. It's awesome. Uh, there's weddings that are still happening. Souls are being saved. Children are being born. There's so many incredible things that are happening. But it can be like, that's one week, and the next week we're collectively mourning loss together. It was such an emotional roller coaster, and in a lot of ways it still is, and it's still hard. The fight is still here, uh, and I know you guys feel it, the fight to still love, right? The fight to still be committed uh, to unity and forgiveness and all of those things. You know, my personal opinion is that Gnostics, and this is, like I said, this is not scripture, this is my personal opinion, just because observing human nature sometimes, is that the Gnostics developed this doctrine primarily out of fear, I think they traded faith in God for knowledge because it, it helped them. You know, it helped them to feel more secure in their relationship with God. John fights back against this. The Apostle John, he fights back against this. He assures the church that they are following the truth, and he refutes false teachers with three tests of faith, which are awesome. So he assures the church. And I want to assure you guys as individuals. So when I first became a Christian, just a little bit about me, I had, and I still have a guilty soul. But when I first became a Christian, it was like um, soul-crushing, the guilt that I would feel. I always felt that I wasn't measuring up to what God kind of wanted from me or expected from me. And almost every day or every other week, I went through this kind of time of, of, of dread of myself. Because I just didn't feel like God loves me or that I was measuring up to the calling that he had for my life. And so I needed First John. In my life at that time. You know, I needed to keep reading First John. You know, every day I was buying books on grace. I was like, you know, love of God. And this was because uh, brothers and people in my life recommended it. If it was up to me, I would have kept reading all of the things I wasn't doing. Because <laughs> for some reason, I was, that just drew me. You know, to, I was drawn to those things uh, for some twisted reason, I'm sure. But in First John chapter 5, 13 through 15, it says, I write these things to you. Uh, let me see if I have this slide really quick here. Oh, it came back to that. Okay. So uh, I'm going to read this passage in 1 John 5, 13 through 15. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him. So what is, what's being said here is that we can have confidence before God. You can have confidence before God. We all can have confidence before God. And you can be confident in eternal life for those of us that have made the commitment that Jesus is Lord and all that comes with that. Be sure. Be confident. If you're not, if you're not sure, you can definitely, the Bible is great. God didn't, like, leave us confused about how to be saved. Like, that would have been kind of messed up, right? If he's like, all right, guys, good luck. See you later. It makes sense that he left us with this incredible book that can help us understand what it looks like to have a covenant relationship with him. If you're not sure of, of some of those things, I'm sure pretty much anybody, uh, many people in here can help you with that. You can approach me. I would love to help you with that. But for the most part, we can be confident 
If you've read the Bible, if you understand the, the principles of our faith in Ephesians 4, it talks about them, then, then you're good. And then he refutes these false teachers with three tests of authentic faith. And we're going to talk about one of those tests today. And we're going to go to that slide with the three on it. Here, I'll try to make sure this works. It's still not. Do you want to see it? Yeah. <laughs> no, not the slide. The, uh, do you want to see this? What? I did that one? Oh, okay. All right. It might just be a delay. All right. You guys still with me so far? Okay, here we go. We're getting into love now. We're getting into love now. All right. Cool. So we're going to jump in. So we're going to stop walking by fear today. All right. That's what we're going to We're going to stop doing that. We're going to start walking by faith. We're going to let our faith in God, our faith in God express itself in the way we love people. Amen. That is the measure of our faith. And so we see this. These are the tests. Love for fellow believers is one of the tests of are you really following Jesus? Are you really a believer? Are you really a Christian? One of the tests of your authentic faith is love for fellow believers. Another one is obedience to God's commands. Right? Talk, this is like, you know, walk, this idea of walking in the light, following Jesus, denying yourself, carrying your cross. Like, what does it mean to really follow Jesus? We see him talk about some of his commands. And guess what? A lot of those commands have to do with love, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? The last thing is believe that Jesus is the Christ. I think we have less of a, that could be a hard time for some people. I think in a Christian kind of culture, that's probably less challenging. And so today we're going to dive into that. What does love look like? How can we express that? And are we doing that? And where does it come from? So in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, we're going to go there. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. True love, it's more than a feeling. It is a consistent attitude of giving ourselves over to God and others. And in this passage, John is saying that these are two sides to the same coin. Is love for God and love for people are, they're not able to be separated. You can't, you can't separate those things out. You can't. You can't do it. So if, so if you're struggling to love people, you are also struggling to love God. It's, it's literally two sides of the exact same coin. And so we're, we're going to dive into why and how and all that. And John 13, 34, just to really make sure we're, we're, we're grasping just how important love is, how important our relationships are. Because I think a lot of times we can let ourselves off the hook saying, I love God, but I don't necessarily love you, right? I love God, but I don't necessarily love them. You know, and we can say things like that, but we don't realize that, no, that's actually not even possible. Because if you really understood what it means to love God and accept his, his love, then your love for people would be an automatic overflow of that. You wouldn't even be able to, like, stop it from happening. It's not like you even have to work to do it. It just comes, right? So in John 13, 34, it says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In John 15, 9 through 13, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. I joke sometimes with the teens. Because, you know, when you're young and you're growing up, and depending on what, what crowd you're hanging out with, you're like, oh, yeah, I'll die for you, man. I'll take a bullet for you, whatever. And it's like, like, you won't even, like, pick up food for me. What do you mean you would take a bullet? Like, it doesn't make sense. You're like, Mom. You're like, Mom. I said that to Cody one time. I was like, Mom, like, I'll do the dishes for you. No, he's like, Mom, I'll die for you. But, yeah, you won't even sweep your room. You won't even sweep the floor. Like, what do you mean you would die? Like, you're not going to be ready for that if you haven't even done the other stuff. What makes you think you could say something like that if you won't even sacrifice in menial ways? You're not going to be ready for it. You know, this is a, <laughs> you know. What if I told you guys, I don't know if it's ever been said to you, but what if I told you guys that the greatest measure, the greatest measure of your spirituality, of your Christianity, is how much like Jesus you are when it comes to loving people? Is that how you measure your Christianity, for real? Like how, how well am I doing at loving people? That is the truest measure of our spirituality. I know this, is, this part right here of the message is not super encouraging. I think a lot of us are realizing, I realize as well, that we have a lot of growing to do in our love, right? I think we can all admit to that together, that we have a lot of room to grow in the way we love people. And we're going to talk about where you're going to find the strength to do that in a second. But it's, I don't think you can question it, that love and spirituality and the way we love people, they go hand in hand. The greatest measure of your spirituality, it's not how much you know the Bible or how many scriptures you know. That's not the greatest measure of your spirituality. The greatest measure of your spirituality is not how effective you are in convincing people or even reaching out to people. The greatest measure of your spirituality is not how much you have prospered in this life. That doesn't mean that God loves you more than other people. The greatest measure of your spirituality is not how well your kids are doing. The greatest measure of your spirituality is not how hard you work. That one's for me. The greatest measure of your spirituality is not how real you keep it with people. That doesn't mean you're just like following Jesus because you tell the truth. The greatest measure of your spirituality is not how long you have been a disciple for. The greatest measure of your spirituality is to what degree you are loving people the way Jesus does. That's the greatest measure of our spirituality. What does it look like to love people the way Jesus did and does? I'm going to talk about four things here. One, one is lowering yourself. Loving people the way Jesus did involves lowering yourself. He washed his disciples' feet, guys. Like, he washed his disciples' feet. God. God came down from a throne. A king came down from a throne and, and did a job of a servant for you and for me. Do you, do you honor people around you, even though you can see people's imperfections, do you still hold them in high regard in your life? Or do, you, or do we destroy people, right? We have to hold each other in high regard. Another thing is sacrificing yourself. He died so that we could be saved. He made a sacrifice so that we could have an amazing life and be with him for all of eternity. So love involves sacrificing to elevate others, sacrificing to put others in positions to succeed. He forgave people. Forgave people. Do you forgive people their offenses against you? Is that hard? I, I, I've struggled to, I don't, I've never thought I had a really problem with forgiving. 
until the last couple years. And I'm finding myself, like I'm reading books on forgiveness, and I'm just like, all right, God, I'm going to pray. God, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And I'm praying things like bless their life. And I'm just praying for everything that I want, like all these great things. And as I'm praying, my heart does change. Because now I'm participating in their successes. So now I'm saying I can, I'm like being a part of your um, seeing you have victory in your life. And it does something for my heart. You know, loving like Jesus involves letting people in, opening yourself up, yes, to even being hurt. I mean, love is vulnerable. It is. Love is a vulnerable thing. You know, Jesus asked uh, some of the brothers to stay with him and keep watch. Why? Because his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Especially for the fellas, it's okay to be vulnerable about what you're feeling. You know, it's okay to say, hey, I feel a lot right now. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I feel sorrowful. I feel angry. Because that lets other people support you and help you. It will help you feel like you're not alone in whatever battle you're currently fighting right now. A lot of us, we just try to fight alone. But even Jesus himself, he didn't try to fight alone. So the idea that we could and God didn't even do that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? We're meant to do this together. This is why church exists. It's a community. We're supposed to be striving and trying together. But if we're not even willing to be vulnerable with each other, like if we're not willing to lean in here, don't get me wrong. As a minister, if I want to be vulnerable, I do feel like Satan's right there being like, no, man, they're going to think you shouldn't really actually be a minister if you're too vulnerable. You know what I mean? They're going to think you're not really like as good as you want them to think if you're too open. But I, force, I have to force myself to lean into this fellowship. Yes, I can talk to a lot of other people, amen for that, right, that I have relationships that are like everywhere. But I want to lean in here because we're in this thing together, right? I've been so, amen, amen. I've been so encouraged. We have, a, we have a warriors group that we call it where a bunch of us, a bunch of the fellas get together once a month here and we just talk. And we just get open and we get real. Because I want to make sure that people here know me and know what's going on, know who I am. Do we love each other this way? Do you love people this way with these things? I want to ask you guys a few questions here. This is the royal you and if, it's, if it feels personal, it's not me. <laughs> so this, guy, this guy's going to distract us here from everything. All right, so I'll ask you guys in a second. All right. Think about this. Was there a time when you stopped lowering yourself and truly holding others in high regard? Was there a time that that happened? When? Did you stop sacrificing yourself for the betterment and well-being of others? When did you decide to stop forgiving? When did you decide that going through life together wasn't that important for you? When did you stop speaking the truth in love? When did you draw your heart back and decide to not be open and vulnerable anymore? When did you believe the lie that Satan told you. I believed a few lies in the past couple years. I believed a few. And I had, and God's word freed me. Amen. Some brothers and sisters in Christ helped me to see the light. I know for many of you it's like that. We don't, you don't have to spend another minute in unforgiveness. You don't have to spend another minute in a lack of bitterness. And in bitterness. You don't have to spend another minute feeling all this stuff and carrying all this stuff with you. 
you can let it go knowing that we have a Savior that completely understands and sees it all. He didn't miss it. Sometimes I feel like I got to defend, I got to fight because he might have missed it. He didn't miss it. He saw it. He saw what happened. You trust him to take care of whatever it is. Pass it off to him. Pass it off to Jesus. Do you guys feel the battle? Do you feel the battle inside, the war, the spiritual warfare? We, we are a church that fights to love. And that's one of the things I do love about this fellowship. We have so many in here that have refused to let their hearts grow cold. And I want to encourage you, if you don't feel there today, to join that fight. Because we all feel it. We all feel the temptation to get a little cold, to get a little, like, uh, you know, just reactive to things. You know, I've, I'm like, I feel more reactive than ever. Like, all right, calm down, calm down. Like, pray more, pray more. And it's like, what's going on? You know, no, I don't want to let anything else influence me like that. I just want it to be Jesus. If you're hurting, like, we're with you. We're with you. More importantly, Jesus is with you. But let's love again, all right? Let's love again. If you're scared, we are with you. If you're fearful, we're with you. Let's have faith again, church. We don't need, sometimes we say we need more time to forgive. I get it. I get it. And I, I want to be careful because I know forgiveness is not simple. I believe the starting of that process is a bit more simple, though. To begin the journey of forgiveness can start today. I don't, I don't believe we, I, I think it's scary to say I need more time to forgive I understand you might not complete the process without time, but at least beginning, you can decide to begin the process to forgive whenever you want. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If we think, and I've been there, I, you know, I'm a boxer, wrestler, all that stuff. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to fight. All right? That's, that's part of my makeup. I have three brothers, and uh, you know, I had to fight. To fight my way out of that situation, you know. It's like it's like that's that's what that's what kind of molded me. So I am I am ready to fight. But here's the deal: if I ever think that my fight is against another person, Satan has won. If I ever think it's an individual that I'm fighting, then Satan has taken control of the situation and my actions. Because the battle is never people. We're all struggling the same. We all have weaknesses, just like everybody else here. We all have pain in our lives. They're, they're struggling just as bad as you are. And there's so much, there's, there's not enough that we could do to communicate exactly how we're feeling. It's not possible. It's just not possible. So we just have to have grace in between all of that. All, all the lack of communication, the ability to work through it. Because everyone has a story. Everybody has something that they're going through. So it's never the person. It's always Satan trying to separate us. It really is. I'm not trying to say they're perfect or there's not some sin. Their sin shouldn't control us, right? Like, and it starts to do that when we think that the battle is against them as an individual. So how can we do this? That might be the 
question, okay, I want to love the way Jesus loved, right? I think we all do. I think we all would like to be free of the burden of carrying anger or bitterness or a lack of forgiveness. Sometimes it just feels like I don't know that I can let it go. First time in my life in the last two years, I've had that thought. I've had that thought. And, and a lot of messed up things have happened in the course of my life. But it was only in the last couple of years where I had the thought like, this is going to be a lot harder to forgive than everything else I feel like. And I don't, and I don't even know why it feels that way. And so, so we have to have a source then, right? Like where do we go for the strength to forgive, right? Where, do, where, where could I go for the strength to actually, no, like repent of that so that I can keep forgiving and even get, make where it becomes easier to forgive perhaps, right? I don't know that that's ever easy to be honest with you. But where is the source that we can go to? It's always, I tell the teens, like, Jesus is always the right answer. So if that's what you thought, that is the right answer. But I'm going to, we're going to get a little more specific here. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19, it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. This is Paul talking. This is what, Paul, what brings Paul to prayer. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power, through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What brings Paul to prayer is that they would understand, feel, internalize, and grasp how much God loves them. You struggle to grasp sometimes how much God loves you. Is it hard for you to absorb love from anybody? Because if it's hard for you to absorb love in general, it's going to be tough to absorb love from God as well. But it's an encouraging journey to learn how to absorb love from God. We have to connect with this reality. It's out of living in this place of understanding how much God loves us that we are going to be able to then extend love to others not without even thinking. It's not going to be something where you feel like, oh, I'm working, this is really hard, right? It's just going to come out. It's going to just explode from out of your heart when you understand, when you get it. And each day, you're going to probably need another reminder about how much God loves you. Because it's like manna. It was only there for 24 hours. Like it, always, it felt like that. Because guess what? As soon as we connect with that reality, we go back out and we deal with all kinds of stuff. Right? So we got to come back to that reality, i.e. spending time with God. Right? So sometimes we don't always explain why. Why have a quiet time? Why read your Bible? Why pray? For me, it's so that I can partly is I can connect with this reality daily. That God loves me deeply. And that he has saved me and that my sin is forgiven. Without knowing that to start my day, you're going to get a different version of me probably that day. And you can say, hey, Pat, have you uh, looked at Grace today? You seem a little off. No. Now all you guys are going to come talk to me about that. All right, uh-oh. I don't know what I set up. So I have a story. Uh, I know my man Cody will know part of this story. I added a little twist on the end of it. Cody was in our team ministry uh, back in the day. I have a story that for me helps me understand Grace. So if you like stories, I'm going to tell you a story. This is like... My own little parable I've kind of tried to tinkle, uh, tinker with over the years. <laughs> That's like Jacob. We don't even say that to him, though. You know, he's like, you want to go to the bathroom. All right, so, all right, so here's the story. If you, you struggle to understand grace, 
Is that hard for you to understand God's love? Okay, okay. All right. So for some people, yes. For some people, no. All right, okay. I believe this is going to be really helpful. All right, so I want you to imagine something. You can close your eyes and just listen. So imagine you and a bunch of friends, um, you're, you're just kind of like cutting up, doing a bunch of crazy things, and you're, you're lighting bushes on fire. Like, go figure. Why would you want to light some bushes on fire, right? But you're doing it. Teenagers do a lot of weird things. Anyway, so then you light this one bush on fire that happens to be next to a house, right? It happens to be next to somebody's house. And you see it catch fire. The, the house catches fire, right? So now you're, as a teenager, you're freaking out. You're like, oh, I just was, I didn't expect all of that. And then you start to see other people from the neighborhood as this house goes up in flames. You start to see other people from the neighborhood. They're all running over, right? They're all coming over to see what's happening. You know you just did it, but if you were to run now, it would be obvious that you did it. So you have to kind of stay and act like you're a spectator too. So you have to watch this whole scene uh, unfold, right? All right, so, so you're there watching this, and you're just in horror of the situation. You're just like, oh, my gosh, this is the worst situation ever. And it gets worse. Now you see fire engines and ambulance roll up, right, to this house. So you're watching all of this happen. Then you see a car pull up. And then you see, you see a, 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 an older guy run out of the car, run into the house, right? So, so you realize, okay, somebody's in there, right? Somebody was in there. And you find out that's the dad of the person that was in there. Dad, the, the, they have to go in there. They pull his dad out. The, fire, the, the, the firefighters pull his dad out. And you realize that the person in the house, that father's child just passed, right? All right. How are you feeling that moment watching that go down? Terrible, right? Like your life is forever going to be marked by that moment in time of what just happened in that moment. Now imagine this. This, this, this father's broken. He's broken. He realized he, just what happened. He just lost his, his son. Gets up. His dad looks you dead in your face. Looks you dead in the face. Walk, walks over to you. And he says, I want you to meet me back here in one month. Just talking to you. I want you to meet me back here in one month. What are you feeling now? <sighs> What's going to happen in a month? What's going to happen in a month? He didn't say anything to the cops. So you're like, that's interesting. Does he know? So you're pretty confident that he knows it's you. He knows that you did it. He says, meet me back here in a month. So now you're living in this guilt for a month, right? And guilt on top of it, wondering what's going to happen when you see him in a month. All right, so it's finally, it's, it's 30 days have gone by. It's time. And you're like, okay, he might kill me. That's a possibility. And, but this guilt that I'm living with is, I think, maybe worse. So I'm just going to go. So you go, you go, and you see that the entire house, first of all, was rebuilt. So in 30 days, it was rebuilt, and it's actually like crazy. It's like bigger than it was even before. And then you see, and then you see the dad, and he starts walking over to you, and you're like, you've just accepted your fate. Like, you're just surrendered to the situation. It's like, whatever happens, I'll just accept it. His dad walks over to you, tears in his eyes, and he says, I forgive you gives you a huge hug, embraces you. How do you feel right now? You're like, this nightmare situation is, is totally different than the way I thought it was going to go. This man lost his son, yet he came over, looked you in your face, I forgive you. I love you. Like the most, the most honest way possible. 
you're feeling some relief, I would imagine, right now. Not only that, but he says, you know what, and I want to give you this house. What's that? So think about that. Not only did he forgive you, but he actually gave you something on top of it. Okay, so now you're in this house. How are you feeling, how are you feeling living in this house? It's a little awkward. You might feel a little guilty, right, even, about it because it still happened. And here's where the story gets better. The kid actually came back from the dead. All right? So you don't have to live with the guilt. And he says, I want you to have that house. And I agree with what my dad did. And you're forgiven and we love you. That's what it was with Jesus. All right? Our sin put him on the cross. He died for us. We killed the son of God. All of us did. Right? We did that to him. And we're living with that guilt. And we're living with the fear of that consequence of what that's going to mean. And yet God runs to us and he says, I forgive you and I love you. And guess what? You, you, not only do I forgive you, but you get a brand new house. That's grace. And not only do you get a brand new house, but my son, I'm actually going to raise him from the dead. So you don't have to live with the guilt of killing this person. We're completely set free from all of it. We're free from everything that, that we've ever done. We're free from the consequences of the sin and even the guilt from the sin. Now, how would you feel approaching another bush? Do you think you would light another bush on fire after all that? Probably not, right? Do you think you would, like, play with matches? Probably not. Sound a little bit like repentance? Sound a little bit like responding to God's love? Because when you get it, it's automatic. When you get that, when you get God's love, it, it produces an automatic response to want to stay away from evil, to want to stay away from sin, because you don't want to be a part of that again. And even though you didn't have to pay for those consequences, even though nothing happened, it doesn't mean you didn't do it, right? It doesn't mean that you, didn't, you just didn't do anything wrong. And so God gives us this opportunity to make it right. When we were at our worst, Jesus died for us. Don't trade anything for God's love. Don't trade it for prestige or for wealth. Don't trade it for your boss's love or affection or a promotion. Don't trade it for the love of a significant other. Don't trade it for status. Don't trade it for anything because everything pales in comparison to the love God has for us and the love God has for you. Nothing can ever match it. Nothing can compare to the love that God has for you. Let's decide, guys, church family, amen. Let's decide to start loving today. Start loving. Take God's love in. Express that love to others. It takes faith to know God loves you. Sometimes you say, let's have faith in God. And like, what does that even mean? That's so abstract. At least as you leave this message, this message, this sermon, have faith specifically in the fact that God loves you. Because sometimes that might not make sense to you. That's why it requires your faith to do it. Have faith in something maybe a little bit more specific if that helps you. Rather than, than the fact that God exists. Like, I'm going to have faith that God loves me because his word says that he does. Right? John 3, 16. Let's take God's love in. If you struggle to understand God's love, meditate on that thought. For the next, like, six months, just read about God's love for you. Just read about God's grace. Learn about grace. I don't know that we really are even close to really understanding. I don't know that we ever will be. I think we can spend a whole lifetime trying to understand God's grace and still not even come close. So spend a lot of time in the next year, the next six months, if you want to take this challenge. Let's call it a six-month grace challenge, right? Six months just learning about grace. Learn about grace. Internalize that. 
Make up your own parable that helps you personally connect with grace. That helped me, right? But you can make up some of your, if you're artistic type, make up a parable that helps you to connect with God's grace. Grace is freeing, it is liberating, and as you begin to understand it, you'll be able to free people to love as well. Grace is going to free us all to love. So the answer, again, to the question, what's love got to do with it? The answer is everything. Love you guys. This has been an episode of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcast.